but we want to say it from our hearts today. We want to say it like the psalmist said it. We want to say it, Lord, like the angels sing it night and day around the clock for eternity past and eternity future. And somehow, Lord, when we sing, when we lift our voices, we join with them. We join that great chorus, we join that cloud of witnesses, and we unite our lives with something so much bigger than ourselves, bigger than our church, bigger than any church, Lord, is your your whole church. Those who've gone to be with you, those who live on this earth, who started singing when it was nighttime for us because it was the Lord's day there. And Lord, our prayer is today that we wouldn't miss this chance to connect with you because more than anything, Lord, that's why we're here. I thank you for the chance to connect with each other. I thank you for the chance to pray. I thank you for the chance to sing songs. But Father, I pray more than anything that no person would leave this place saying, I came there looking for God and I didn't find him. So Lord, let the way I sing, let the way we read your word, let the way we live our lives when we leave this place, proclaim to the world around us that God is really among us, that Jesus Christ is risen. And because he is, there's hope for the world, for every person in the world, for every person in this room who may have given up hope. Lord, give us hope. In Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you for singing with us this morning. Thank you for for singing from your hearts. It's good to worship the Lord together and to seek him. I thought a lot about worship this summer. Had a lot of time to think and pray. I think more than anything else, you know what God said to me about worship? We've been talking about the last two or three weeks and I shared with you how I believe worship is both awe and adoration. But more than anything, I think this is what God said to me this summer is that worship is primarily about God. It's about the primacy of God, how God has first place in every area of our lives. And when we come together, we're simply declaring his primacy. I was reading on Facebook, stalking one of my kids this week, and, uh, and he had posted this um, quote from Philip Yancey. And I, I love this quote. I, I love that when I send my son off to college in Arkansas, he reads really good books. And um, so I guess he got it from a, I guess he did. But this is what it says. Church exists primarily not to provide entertainment or to encourage vulnerability or to build self-esteem or to facilitate friendships but to worship God. Church exists primarily to worship God. And if it fails, let me put it personally, if we fail in that, we fail as a church. So how are we doing? I don't mean how am I doing? Because the Bible says when we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are all the preachers. As long as you do this, he says, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So how well will you preach this morning? How well will you preach on Tuesday when you go back to school or back to work? How will you preach to your neighbor by the way you respond to him or her when you have something that you all need to dialogue about? How will you preach? And there was an argument in the old church. There's still people who argue about it today about 
about how Christ is present in the Lord's Supper. You ever heard about this transubstantiation, consubstantiation? Is he literally, does this bread and this cup literally become the body of Christ when you eat it and the blood of Christ when you drink it? Or, or as the Lutherans say, consubstantiation, is he just sort of with it? He's with the bread, he's with it. Or, or the, most of the Reformed churches say, no, it's, it's really more of a symbol. And look, here's what I want to say this morning. I'm pretty sure that when we eat this bread and drink this cup, God is here. I, mean, I don't know how, I don't have a, a direct explanation, but I know he's here. But I think in our digital age, the real question is not, how is Christ present when we eat this supper? I think the real question is, how are we present? What do we bring with us? What do we lay aside? Can we stop? Can we stop the email and the text and the phone and the thousand things that gather our attention and say, Lord, for this time, I am all in and I'm only thinking about you because this supper is about how Jesus Christ went all in for us. And there was a church in Corinth. After the church we've been thinking about in Jerusalem that just had such a great time breaking bread together and they devoted themselves to that even from house to house. There was a church some years later in Corinth and they didn't get this right because um, when they ate the Lord's Supper and drank, well, I'll, let me just read it to you. Would you open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and let's stand together as we read God's word. And God is really present when we read his word. What's he gonna say to us today? How are we gonna preach? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. The title of this message is The End of My Entitlement. I know that sounds kind of ominous. Don't worry, it is. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be divisions among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry. Another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not, Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, and remember to me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pick up verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone's hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. When I come, I'll give you further instructions. You may be seated. What difference does a cross make anyway? I'm only asking you that because somebody stood in my doorway yesterday and asked me that question. What's the big deal about the cross anyway, this guy said. He knocked on the door and um, asked for Chase. Apparently they'd had some conversation this summer and he came back to discuss religion. And I was standing there in my baseball cap, just been running, 
And um, he said, well, if Chase isn't here, could I? I said, if you want to talk to Chase, you got to go to Arkansas. He said, well, well, maybe you'd like to talk to me about the Bible. I said, maybe I would. <laughs> and so we started talking. And you know, the primary rule is you got to love people, right? Even if you disagree with them, even if they came to argue, you got to love them because people aren't argued into the kingdom of God. People are loved into the kingdom of God. So in the most loving way I could, I, I said to him, hey, we can, we can sort of get to the, the heart of the matter here. Um, do you believe Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross and rose again? And that by believing in him, you are made right with God. And that's the only way anybody can be made right with God. He said, well, I, I kind of believe some of that. I said, well, which part don't you believe? He said, what's the big deal about the cross anyway? Melanie would say at this point, I began to preach. Though I'm not, I'm, I mean, that wasn't what my intention was. But I mean, I just been, I mean, I'm, I'm focused on the Lord's Supper this weekend. I've been thinking a lot about the cross. And I just said, well, well the, let me tell you what difference the cross makes. Um, the cross, 2 Corinthians, I said, you can look it up in your translation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says um, that um, Christ became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The big deal about the cross is that's the only way we could ever be made right with God. And we talked some more and I asked if I could pray for him. He said, no, you can't pray for me. And I said, well, I'm going to pray for you anyway because... I'm pleading with you to believe that Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ who is proclaimed in a, in a gazillion different translations as the way, the truth, and the life is the only way you and I are ever going to have eternal life. So I am, I am praying for you. And we were polite and cordial and, and, and he and his, they, they went on their way. And, I'm, I'm, and I want you to pray for them. Their names are Michael and Tanner. And I'm desperately concerned that they and your neighbors and mine, apart from the cross of Jesus Christ, will never, ever be made right with God. So the cross is about being made right with God. And not really to simplify it, Jesus Christ gave up his rights, heaven, to live a full life on this earth. He gave up his rights so that we might be made right with God. But I'll tell you why Jesus died on the cross. It wasn't so that you and I could claim our rights. And in fact, that's the problem at Corinth. I mean, it really stems out of pride. I mean, they got it. Look, you, you know, you got time because they got a lot of problems at Corinth. But, but the heart of it all is pride. And C.S. Lewis says the problem with, with pride is that pride is not like I take pride in being rich or I take pride in being um, clever or good looking. I take pride, he says, people who take pride take pride in being richer than somebody else, being more clever. He says cleverer. I'm not sure that's a word, but I'm not going to argue with C.S. Lewis. That they take pride in being better looking than somebody else. Because if everybody was the same level of wealth and everybody was the same level of appearance and everybody was the same level of um, IQ, then you couldn't be proud of being more than somebody else. And I know we live in this world, we got all these different gifts and these different backgrounds, but there is one place in this world where we are all on level ground. And that's the cross of Jesus Christ. When we come to his cross, it doesn't matter whether your IQ is 200 or 100. When you come to the cross of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if you have no money in your bank account or you got multiple bank accounts with multi-million dollars. When you come to the cross of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter whether you're the best looking person in your family or the worst looking person in your family. It really doesn't matter. 
because you were on level ground, a sinner in need of grace. That's where we stand. And this early church, the church at Corinth didn't get that right. And so in their pride, some of them apparently didn't have to work. And so they get to church early and they'd come up to the plates and go, man, I'm hungry. And they would just snack. And they would drink the cup until some of them got drunk. I'm not sure how they did that with grape juice. I'm just, I mean, I've had a lot of grape juice in my life and I've never been drunk, but they, somehow they managed. Maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't grape juice, but maybe that's why we use grape juice. Okay. But anyway, they got drunk. And then the people who've been working all day who had nothing come to the church and come for the time of the love feast, the Lord's Supper, and they get there. You ever been to a potluck where this was true? You get there late and everything is gone. And they got nothing to eat at all. Meanwhile, the others who got there early over there, full and drunk. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase what Paul says. You can't be serious. You can't be serious. You took the most selfless act in all of history, Christ dying on a cross, and you turned that into something about you and something selfish. There is nothing selfish about the cross, but one thing about Christ not claiming his rights, one thing's for sure. If we're going to be his people, we don't have any right to claim ours or think that the world or worship or anything else is all about us. No, it's all about him. And I worshiped in a lot of churches this summer, and I can just sort of summarize whatever every fear of every church I went to was. Something in our worship service is going to change. Everybody's afraid of that because we know what we like and we like what we know. Amen? We do. But I'll tell you what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid something in us is not going to change. And we're going to be as self-centered and entitled as the world out there that doesn't even know Jesus Christ. And that's a great concern. And so as we look at this passage today, what we know about the Lord's Supper, what we know about worship is it's the end of our entitlement. Talk about consumer churches. The church at Corinth was the original consumer church. They consumed all the food before everybody else got there. They were, they were sort of like Marie Antoinette when she heard that the poor people in France didn't have bread. Let them eat cake, she said. I'm gonna tell you something. If they don't have bread, they sure don't have cake. But Marie Antoinette didn't care. And the truth is, we who have what we want may say, as long as I've got what I want, I don't care what happens to anybody else. But we can't do that in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of the Jesus who went to the cross for us. We sure can't say, I don't care what anybody else wants as long as I got what I want. Because it can't be about us. It can't be about what we want. It's, it's got to be about what God wants. And Jesus surrendered his rights. That's what it means when it says he humbled himself, Philippians chapter two. He gave up his rights so that we could be made right with God. And if we're going to be right with God, we can't claim our rights. I couldn't help but notice this morning as I was walking through the preschool wing. And did you know, I didn't know this till this morning, and I'm, I work here. I mean, you would think I know these things, but nobody told me. Turns out the kangaroos meet with the monkeys at 8.45 in the morning. So just imagine the first kangaroo who shows up and, and hears the news. And he walks into his kangaroo room and looks around and there's nobody there. And they say, no, you guys are meeting with the monkeys today. And maybe he puts his foot down and says, I'm not a monkey. These are our preschoolers. I'm not going to the monkey room. Ain't no way I'm going to the monkey room. 
I am not a monkey, I'm a kangaroo. Or the kangaroos go into the monkey room and one of the monkeys looks around and goes, hey, you're not a monkey. What are you guys doing in here? This is the monkey room and you're a kangaroo and kangaroos don't come in the monkey rooms and monkeys don't go in the kangaroo room. And, and you know, I don't know how it's working. I'm gonna ask Casey about it because I just heard about it this morning. These things can cause great controversies in the church. You can put, look, you can put monkeys with kangaroos. Just think about it in nature. Monkeys can coexist with kangaroos. You can't put the lions in the monkey room because if the lions get upset, then you got to have a new monkey, right? But we don't have any lions, not in the preschool. I wonder if we have any in the, in the youth, in the adults. Anybody here like, man, I see a monkey, I'm eating the monkey. I am not, I am not putting up with monkeys. And my word to you is, the danger for us is that we get caught up in that because we'd, we've gotten used to what we like and we like what we're used to and then, and then things start changing. You know, I, I, was, I was up at a church. I went to a church up in Tennessee and I was so hoping I would get to go to a windsucker church. You know what a windsucker church is? The, the pastors, most of the pastors, 93.7% of the pastors in Claiborne County, Tennessee are windsuckers. That means at the end of every syllable when they preach, they say, ha, like God, ha. And I'd never seen that in person. And man, I was looking forward to it. And so I show up in this church. Would you, wouldn't you know it? I show up in the only church in Claiborne County where the preacher preaches with a PowerPoint on the screen. They got a choir singing. They got nothing different than any other place I've been. I'm thinking, man, I didn't get to hear a windsucker. I didn't get to, you know, I was so hoping. But at the end, after I've sort of enjoyed the service, this young woman from uh, Lincoln Memorial University stands up with a guitar and she starts to sing, and I'm thinking, we're in Tennessee. This is going to be really, really country. Now, when I was growing up, my dad said there's only two kinds of music. There's country and Western. But I've sort of moved beyond that in my life, and I don't listen, I don't listen to a lot of country and Western. And so, you know, can, you, can I just be honest with you? I'm, I'm dreading a little bit the country and Western. And then she begins to sing. And I mean, it was really country. I can't even do how country, but it was very... I used to be in a bluegrass band when I was in high school and I can't do that country, but it was, it was something like this. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. If you know it, sing it with me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. And by the time she finished singing, I was just melted in the presence of God because it took me back to my childhood. It took me back to a hymn that I haven't sung in a long time. And I was sitting there wondering, why haven't I sung this hymn in a long time? Because it drew me into the presence of God in ways that I didn't even anticipate. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is amazing. Because God can minister to us if our hearts are open and if we're willing to sing. Look, here's what I think Paul is saying when he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I have my rights, chapter 9, verse 12, but I gave up my rights. 
First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 22, he says, you know what? He says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. You know what Paul's saying? If I can put it in our context, I will sing your songs in your way if that helps me reach people for Christ. And I came away from Tennessee thinking, Lord, I'll sing Gregorian chants if that's what it takes for us to reach the city of Houston. And what Paul is advocating here is not tolerance, because tolerance, as my friend Calvin Miller, one of my mentors who went home to be with the Lord a couple weeks ago, you know Calvin, great artist, great thinker. He said tolerance is the flabbiest virtue in the world. Our world loves tolerance. Oh, you gotta be tolerant. You don't wanna be intolerant. Yeah, I don't hear Paul saying you gotta tolerate each other. No, what he says is you gotta love each other. And where does he get the idea that he can surrender his rights? Why does he say to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the next chapter, before we get to 11, why does he say to them, um, you say you, you have rights, everything's permissible. Yeah, but not everything's beneficial. Notice the quotations. They say, everything's permissible. He says, yeah, but not everything is constructive. And then in verse 24, he points out, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. And I wonder if that describes us. Do we have verse 31? Listen to what verse 31 says. This helps us. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Look, we worship for the glory of God. And if you'll receive it, everything you do is worship to God. Your work on this Labor Day weekend, your work is worship to God. The way you worship either brings him glory or brings him dishonor. The way you relate to your family either brings glory or dishonor to God. And I want to say this morning that the cross of Jesus Christ is the end of our entitlement. So Paul says, here's the deal. I can't even believe that you're, you're being selfish about the Lord's Supper. But if I could translate it more largely to a culture that has come to say, I'm going to have what I want in worship no matter what. I hear the Apostle Paul say, yeah, remember the cross. Remember the cross of Jesus Christ. And when I, when I think about that, I, I think about Leonard Sweet who talks about the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. And he says, you know, a lot of people live by the silver rule, he calls it, which is do unto others whatever they do to you. You ever do that? Like if that person hurts me, I'm gonna hurt them. They practice that in the Middle East today, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's not going real well over there. That's the silver rule. Then there's the nickel rule. You know what the nickel rule is? Because it's worth about a nickel. It's not um, do unto others what you would have them do unto you or do unto others what they do unto you. The nickel rule is do what I want. And I think that's carrying the day in our culture. Do what I want. But he goes on and says, but there's a better rule and it's the, it's the titanium rule, which I assume is, I don't know, better than gold. And here's the titanium rule. Jesus says, love others. This is John chapter 13, verse 34 a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So here's, here's the titanium rule. It's even better than the golden rule. Do what Jesus did. How did Jesus love others? He laid down his life for them. And if we in the church don't live out what Jesus did, then it's really hard for us when they come to our door to explain to them what the cross is really all about. But when we live what we say we believe, then we get the chance to do that. I was, I was visiting another church here in Houston and um, I went to one church and I was going to another church two miles up the road and I parked in the guest section. Maybe you did that this morning. 
Maybe you did that and you're not a guest. And I, I'm okay with that. I don't want to know about it, but maybe that's you. But anyway, I, I parked in the guest section because I was a guest. I weren't, weren't many people in the guest section. After the service, I found out why. Because there was a river of church members driving right behind my car. And I had to wade into the river <laughs> to get out. Except zoom, zoom. They were all going by. And I'm thinking, maybe if I got out and said, I'm a pastor, you know, maybe, you know, just kind of pull rank, you know. Maybe that'll work, right? But no. And I'm looking. I sort of give them a smile, you know. No. I'm giving. And, you know, the preacher just preached about sharing. And I'm getting more and more frustrated because I'm a preacher and I'm trying to get to the next service. And these people, they're not even practicing what that preacher just said. And then it occurred to me that, well, what Paul says in verse 33 was for me when he says in, in chapter 11, verse 33, Wait for each other. It's not about you. And so if you, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I'm saying, be nice to our guests. Yes, be nice to our guests. Absolutely. But even more, I'm, I'm saying, if you have to wait, yeah, wait. Wait for God. Wait for him to work. Wait for each other. Care for each other's needs. Prefer each other over yourself. Why? Because that's different from the world around us. And that's what this bread and this cup really mean. That the end of my entitlement is the cross of Jesus Christ. How about you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing grace and love and mercy. We stand in awe of you. We thank you, Lord, for for Jesus, who was a volunteer for us. <laughs> like Katniss Everdeen, I read about in the book this week. A volunteer for us so that we didn't have to die. And Lord, it's nice being alive. We like not having to die. We love eternal life. Help us now, I pray, to do what you did. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.